Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and I am happy to be here with you today. I hope you're having a great day, wherever you are. Um, Hopefully you're getting time to get out there, play with them mules. Uh, It's just the midst of summer here in Utah, and we just got done with the 4th of July, and man, it's good to be here. be blessed in this wonderful country, have the privileges, opportunities um, to be able to ride. Uh, I spent my 4th of July uh, taking cows on the mountain. I picked my my main ride, Riata, uh, really nice seven-year-old mule that uh, I've had since she was a weanling. I actually won her. Um, I won her as a weanling. And... Um, Raised her since then, started her. She's now in the two-rain. And yesterday as I was moving cows up on the mountain, I was just thinking, man, this is nice. You know, I've been riding a lot of colts lately, you know, working on mules that, oh, needs need all kinds of odds and ends and haven't spent a lot of time with Riata. And uh, she's by no means perfect or anything, neither am I. Um, but, but dang, she's a good ride. It's just so nice to get on something that's confident like that. And, you know, uh, I've talked about it on here before, and you've heard me say this, uh, but it's so important that you know how to, you know, that you've finished a mule out to know how to start one, and that you've started mules out so that you know how to finish them. And, uh, you know, when I ride th- these mules, like Riata, she's almost almost done. She's in the two-rain almost straight up in the bridle. I use mostly bridle reins, so she's pretty much in the bridle, but I still have that hackamore to help her. But as I ride her, I think of all the things I really like, the things that, you know, the things I've been able to accomplish with her that that I appreciate, and also the things that I'm like, okay, on the next meal, I'm going to do better. The next one, I'm going to be better. I'm going to make sure that I do this so that I don't get that. There's just little things, you know, that um, you know that you, you just find, you're, that, and you can critique yourself like that. So, you know, as you're as you are going through your mulemanship or your horsemanship journey, and you're working through this stuff, just just keep that in mind. You know, as you're working this animal. Think of how you can be better the next time you ride it and think about how you can be better um, on the next animal you start, the next animal you bring up to this level. But anyways, yesterday, like I said, moving cows on the mountain all day. We we saddled up here at my house about 4.30 a.m. and uh, loaded up in the trailer and had about a half-hour drive got to the pasture and, and unloaded and, um, and yeah, we, we were in the saddle, we were in the saddle, um, about 5:20 AM and we rode, we rode all day, uh, got back to the truck about 4:30 in the afternoon and, um, we were all tired and wore out and dusty, dirty and, but, and it was just, it was just a great day. And, and I'm, you know, uh, I don't cowboy for a living, 
you know, um, unfortunately these days, very few people actually get the opportunity to be a cowboy for a living. Most people are like me where they get a day work and you get to go out for the day and, and do a little work, you know, you're hired for that day. And then, you know, we, we go back to our real jobs. This is my real job, right? <laughs> is, uh, doing this here. Um, being a teacher, that's what I do. Uh, you know that, but, but being able to day work and have that opportunity and have those blessings. Any of you out there that are military first responders, thank you. Thank you sincerely for, uh, making it possible. And thank you to those of you that, that have loved ones that are, uh, currently serving or have served in the military and, and, uh, yeah, it's just, just such a blessing. So thank you. I hope you guys had a great 4th of July after, after we put cows on the mountain, we came home and unsaddled and, and, uh, had a couple hours, eat some dinner. And then we went to the rodeo, the local, little local rodeo. And I got to meet up with a, a dear, dear friend of mine, um, Stacy Mascaro with a uh, circle J rodeo company. And, uh, this guy was just incredible. And we were kind of reminiscing a little bit and brought up a story. I thought it'd be great to share with you guys here too, because you know, you just never know. You just never know how these animals are going to turn out. And, um, you know, Stacy Mascaro, he, uh, he helped me when I started rodeoing. He got me lined out, uh, taught me, you know, the basics of bronc riding and, and got me set on my way and put me on a lot of practice horses and, and, uh, just was a, a great mentor and, and, uh, you know, taught me a great, a great work ethic. Uh, he also taught me a lot of grit, um, how to just be tough. And, uh, that has served me has been a great companion to this, this style of horsemanship and mulemanship. You know, a lot of these things take a little, little grit. You, you got to have some stick to itiveness. You've got to be able to hang in there. You can't quit too early. Um, and Stacy helped me learn a lot of grit, uh, growing up. But the story I want to share was I was at a high school rodeo and, um, it was my junior year. And, uh, anyways, I, uh, it was a rodeo in Castledale, Castledale, Utah. And I won the rodeo. Uh, well, I tied for first with, uh, with a fellow named Sam Christensen. Uh, but anyways, we, we won the rodeo and, and I was on this, this, this blue roan horse called blue boy. And, uh, you know, he, he bucked pretty good, you know, not, it wasn't like double rank or anything, but bucked good enough. And I rode good enough that we won the rodeo on him. Okay. And, uh, you know, just nice horse. I didn't think anything of it, you know, going home. That's great. Maybe you can go drama again sometime. Well, two weeks later, I show up at, at uh, another one of Mascaro's rodeos. And, you know, they're stock contractors. They go all over Utah and Idaho and surrounding states. And uh, anyways, I pull up and I, I go to talk to Stacy and say hi to him. And I walk past their trailer and uh, Blue Boy, and I, I, or at least I thought it was Blue Boy, was tied up to the horse trailer with one of Stacy's saddles on it. 
And I walked up to Stacy and I said, is that Blue Boy tied to your trailer? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I, you know, uh, I liked how good he looked. And after you rode him the next week, he didn't buck anymore. He quit bucking. Um, and, uh, so I put my saddle on him and thought, Hey, he'd make a good pickup horse. And, and he got to work on him. So this was a horse that, you know, had bucked good enough for me to win a rodeo and, you know, and, and do well. And then he, he kind of quit bucking and Stacy made a, made a pickup horse. And, oh, now I suppose old blue boy, um, I don't know, that horse might be, uh, somewhere between, uh, Oh shoot. It's gotta be close to 20 years old now. I would guess probably close to 20 years old. Um, he was just young back then. Uh, but anyways, I was, I was wearing my buckle, um, yesterday and I, and I wear it often from that rodeo because it reminds me that don't judge these animals by, you know, one little short performance. Um, in this case, you know, it was a bucking horse and he performed how he was supposed to there. You know, most of you listening, you, you pray <laughs> that they don't buck, uh, but don't judge them by such a short little moment of time. They can make some incredible changes. And in the case of Blue Boy and Stacy Mascaro, uh, became a great pickup horse, a great riding horse, you know, a great saddle horse. And, uh, Anyways, I wear that buckle to remind me of that, and I had it on yesterday, and uh, that's the story that come up was about old Blue Boy. So, yeah, you just you just never know how these animals are going to turn out. You never know, and uh, it's been it's been fun. I've been uh, uh, working Dally, um, a four year old Molly mule that that I got, um, sweet gentle mule, but she's had a little bronc to her little buck to her, um, since we began, if, if any of you, uh, are, are members of our online video library, if you subscribe to that, there's a whole collection called the Dally Diaries. And this is a series that I did, um, for 2021. And I documented from starting her all the way up to the writing and, and I've been putting updates and I, I got a whole bunch of videos I need to put on there. Um, and get updated for you guys. But anyways, if you're curious about, about that, check her out. But she's been a, a overall handful, uh, to start. And, you know, we've got about a year on her now in, in the last year, I've got about, um, probably 40 rides on her, uh, you know, and, and I've had a couple that are, you know, I, well, maybe, Maybe, maybe seriously, like three or four that have been good rides on her. Recently, just two of them. We, we moved cows last Friday and she did great. Rode her up the canyon on Saturday. She did great. Um, and, and we're making good progress, really good progress with that. But you, you guys just never know how these animals are going to turn out. And I found if you, if you have a little faith and you stick to the process, you keep working through it. It takes time. Uh, these animals turn out. There's so many animals that I wish I could go back, uh, go back, you know, uh, 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, a lot of these animals, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 
if I could go back and just apply what I know now to the animals that I was dealing with then, it would be it would be a game changer for them. There's so many animals that I know I could help now with the knowledge I have. So one good thing, when you're dealing with an animal that's that's causing you a struggle and you're having a hard time, know that this is the growth zone. You've heard me uh, quote this, but there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. So when you get these animals, like for me, Dally, um, it, it makes me learn. It makes me be better. It makes me seek knowledge and, and ponder and, and think about what I could do. How can I help this animal? How can I do better? And you just never know how they're going to turn out. It's, it's amazing the changes that, that can be made. So anyways, yeah, there's a story about old Blue Boy and update on old Dally. She, she's doing great and, you know, making some good changes. And it, it takes a lot of time. Uh, it's interesting. Um, during that Dally Diaries, I also started her cousin, Dally's cousin, a, 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 another mule, same age, same exact age, um, different mare, different Jack for the Jackson brothers. And her name is Hannah. And if you follow us along on social media, or if you've been to a clinic really the past, uh, the, in the past year, then you've met Hannah, nice little red mule, just a sweetheart and complete opposite experience of, of starting. Dally, I've had a lot of a lot of handful moments, you know, uh, she kept me on my toes. Um, she's blew up and bucked with me out of those 40 rides, probably bucked with me 35 of them. <laughs> so, uh, and luckily never dusted me. Um, you know, she doesn't have a lot of, a lot to her, but, um, but it's just annoying. Uh, but then you got Hannah that, I mean, I don't think you could make that mule buck. I mean, just absolute sweetheart. So, so easy, incredibly easy, but you know, and Dally's, Dally's going to be in the snaffle bit for a long time. And, uh, you know, Hannah, uh, she's just about ready to go to the Hackamore. Uh, she'll be in the Hackamore by, by Christmas for sure. But if you look at the lessons learned, if you look at what I have gained from these mules, Dally by far has has really just taught me a ton. So anyways, if you're dealing with a struggle, if you got a mule, a horse that is testing you, keep track of the things you're learning. You're, you're going to learn on this animal for sure. You are in the growth zone. And how are you going to grow from this? How are you going to get better? How are you going to be better because of this? challenge in your life because of this animal um what how are you going to be better so anyways uh i got a bunch of questions that come in here so let's uh let's jump into this here and answer these questions for you first question hi ty thinking about going down the trail and how little spooks can add up to a full-blown event if we don't help the mule release that tension. 
and I can't find anything in my notes on how to go about that process. Was I asleep that day in class or just didn't process and retain the information? How do I address this with my mule Shelby? Um, and that's from Cindy McMurray from California. All right, Cindy. So you're right. Uh, you know, when you are going down the trail, uh, we, we don't want to have that. You know, a lot of people think that random blow up just comes from nowhere or that big spook, the, you know, the, the jump out from under you and spin out and you're like the cartoon hanging in the air. Uh, a lot of people think that that's just out of nowhere. Where did that come from? But if we pay more attention, if we're more aware of our mule, when we're going down the trail, you'll see these tensions build over time. Uh, there's a lot of pe people teaching about this these days. It, you know, it's called trigger stacking. And you're just piling on one stressor after another. Um, you're going down the trail. They look at that little rock. Maybe they don't jump out from under you. Maybe they don't lean on you. Maybe they don't push on your leg or anything. Maybe they don't drop their shoulder but they look at that rock cross-eyed. Then you go down the trail and then they look at that stump and then the little rabbit jumps out and they kind of take a spook. And then you pass a backpacker and they're kind of scared. And then next thing you know, all it takes is a little leaf blowing across the trail and the mule spins around and you're like, oh my gosh, a leaf or where did that come from? You want all these little tensions to go away. And this is so important. Um, I think this is more important than any of the mechanical moves that you can teach. We can we can talk lots of mechanics. We can talk about different turns and stops and and maneuvers to to counteract these tension movements that the mule might have. But the most important of all is helping them release the tension. Now, how do we do that? Let, let's go back to the very first rock they spooked at. When you have a mule that kind of looks sideways at the rock, that's going to be easy. That's your easiest one. That very first little almost a spook, that's the easiest one for you to address. So right there, my mule kind of looks sideways at the rock. I might just circle that rock a time or two. Or that one I could even just pause and let them just, just kind of take it in and... You just kind of wait for them to relax and, and just real, they need to realize that they need to, they need that little time to process this and say, Hey, this isn't as scary as I think it is, or potentially could be, you know, unfortunately for us as humans, you know, the horse, the mule, they have that false positive bias where things are dangerous until proven otherwise, or until experience tells them better. Um, so let's help them. Let's help them. So every little every little thing that they spook at, I I am gonna I want to make sure that I'm there to kind of tell them, hey, it's all right, you're you're gonna get through this, you're gonna be fine, don't worry about it. Um, so that's how you do it, Cindy, little by little. Then you don't have that big buildup. Some like I said, sometimes you circle it, sometimes you go back and forth across it, sometimes you go back and forth past it, sometimes you just stop and let them check it out. Um, there's lots of different things you can do, but be sure that you check off each tension built moment, check it off and help them release that tension and you'll be fine. Okay. Next question. Uh, this, this question's from, from Joe dirt, uh, code name Joe dirt. Okay. Um, so thanks for writing in Joe dirt. Uh, could you talk about the pick me up off the fence exercise or whatever you call it on your podcast? What does it accomplish? I've heard people say they need to get used to seeing you above them 
However, I'm working with a three-year-old that I've raised, and she's definitely seen me above her most of her first year, so I'm not convinced this has anything to do with it, but I do think it helps almost crave getting you in that position. Um, all right, Joe Dirt. Uh, so getting them up to the fence, fence work we call it. Um, the reason I do it, number one, and above all, is to test, to truly test your leading skills. If you've ever climbed up the fence and tried to send your mule out and bring them up next to you, um, then you, you'll know what it feels like to have one that's not broke to lead. Uh, you know, I've, I've climbed that fence many times and realized that, oh my gosh, this mule doesn't know anything on the end of that lead rope because you don't have any leverage. Your feet are on the ground. You can't like hang on them, pull on them, drag them over there. You can't manipulate your, your body to get them in that position, you know? Uh, so you have to use your leading skills. That's my favorite thing about it. It's basically a test. There's a million ways to get your mule to come up to a fence or a mounting block and pick you up. That's not, that's not my number one goal. My number one goal here is to test my leading skills because I don't drive them over to me. I don't use my flag when I'm on the fence. I don't snap my fingers or clap or do anything or make any noise to, to signal them. It's basically my lead rope. Send them out over there to the right, bring them up along the fence, or send them out over there to the left, bring them up along the fence on that side. And uh, so that's that's really why I do it is to, to test my leading skills. Now, what does it benefit the mule? Well, yeah, they do get used to you above them, um, particularly, you know, a lot of these animals that weren't really raised hands-on so much by people, um, they're going to be a little bit more scared. So getting them, getting them up next to you is great. Uh, they get to see you above there. It's a great place to introduce your rope. I rope off all my mules. So it's, uh, it's, it's really good for me to be able to swing that rope from that fence throw that rope out there, coil it back up, bring it over the, the saddle. It kind of makes that little scratchy noise, a little, little buzzing noise. And, uh, it's fantastic to get that mule used to use the rope. Same thing with the slickers. Um, so really it's, it's a great familiarizing tool. That fence work is great place to check your, your leading skills. So that's why we do it. Thanks for the question. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now and thank one of our sponsors. And I got a bunch of questions when we come back. So hang tight. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson do an amazing job with their magazine. I've been writing for them for a few years now, and uh, they're great. Look up westernmulemagazine.com and check them out. All right, friends, we're back. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, we're, we got a bunch of great questions from, from people all over. You know, remember, if you have a question, you're welcome to send me an email. My email is ty at tsmules.com. And be sure to put in the subject question for podcast. And I'll try to get it on the show. I appreciate you guys writing in. And I am happy to help. I love helping y'all. So, Send them on in, okay? Next question. Uh, first of all, I want you to know I very much enjoy your podcast. It has become the primary station as I travel the four hours to and from work every week. My question pertains to my two Johns I recently acquired. These four- and five-year-olds seem well-trained 
and have been employed to work cattle up until I took them. They were saddled by the previous owner, uh, as a horse would be with a horse saddle and billet strap. I, on the other hand, have purchased a couple saddles from a gentleman who builds saddles specifically for mules. Under his instruction, we ran a tight rear cinch and not so tight front cinch. The rationale is the scapula anatomy of a mule versus the horse. Well, no surprise to me, these mules aren't digging it. My question for you is how do you cinch your saddles and how should I be saddling my boys? If I do change them to the tight rear, how should I handle this transition? Thank you, Donnie and Jenny LaBelle. All right, Donnie and Jenny, uh, well, welcome to the mule world. Um, congratulations on getting these critters and, uh, yeah, hopefully you have a lot of fun with them. So saddling, uh, this is a common question in my clinics, uh, for sure. First of all, I'll say this, you guys, there are just a million ways, uh, to saddle. There's all kinds of gear, all kinds of saddles, all kinds of equipment, all kinds of riggings, everything, everything. Every there's so many differences in saddles and, and how you can rig them, and a lot of them work great. There's there's really no perfect way that that everybody should be doing. Everybody should be doing this. Um, I've seen all kinds of all kinds of riggings, and many of them work just fine. But I'll tell you how I do it. Um, first of all, let me preface it by saying my primary use for my mules is is in the mountains and that's either working cows in the mountains. That's either, either trail riding in the mountains or packing in the mountains. That's my main use. And then I work in the arena as a teacher. And, uh, so, uh, anyways, that's, that's my, my, my thing. Okay. And I'm in Utah. So you guys, if you're familiar with Utah here in the U S, um, big mountains, everything's up, everything's down, rough, rugged country. And, uh, I'm hard on gear. I use my gear. I beat the crap out of it. And, um, I, I've, I've had a lot of experience and a ton of hours and miles using this stuff. This is how I do it. Okay. I like a seven eighths rigging on my saddle. Okay. And I have both saddles with that are, that are on mule bars and on semi quarter bars and on quarter bars, I got, I got a, a different, all kinds of different saddles. And I just try to fit the mule the best that I can. My number one, when it comes to fit and, and doing up riggings and things is, is am I comfortable? Because if I'm not comfortable as a rider, I'm going to ride poorly. I'm not going to ride good if I don't feel good in the saddle. So my fit is number one. Mules fit, number two. Some of you a little fluffy, you might not like hearing that, but that's how, that's how it is for me because I've seen a lot of people that have excellent fitting saddles for their mule and, uh, but not so excellent for them and they ride terrible and then the, the pressure is not distributed how it should be in that good fitting saddle anyways. And they get them sore in that good fitting saddle. I've seen lots of people, on the other hand, with saddles that fit decent, just okay, not perfect, but they're okay, but fit the human very well. And they don't get that animal sore at all because they ride well, they ride balanced. So that's important there. Um, so, anyways, you don't have to have a mule specific saddle 
Just find one that fits decent. Find one that fits you, most importantly. It's got to fit you well, and you got to be comfortable in it. You need to be able to ride good in it. Um, I could go on all kinds of tangents on saddles. I mean, one of my pet peeves is these saddles that don't fit you guys well, and, and you don't ride it good. And I see people come off all the time, and I think, man, if you just had a saddle that fit you and that you were secure in, the one that would hold you in, you know, you wouldn't have got dusted right there. Um, I'm not going to go off on that tangent too hard there. But anyways, back to the riggings. I like a 7 8 rigging on my front cinch, and I ride it tight. I ride it tight. You should be able to fit your hand between the mule and the cinch with a lot of effort. It should be hard for you, challenging for you to get your hand between the cinch and and the mule. It shouldn't be just just loose in there. You should it should take you some effort, but you should be able to get your hand back there. Okay, the rear cinch, uh, general riding, I like it just snug. So I like it touching the belly. I don't like any gap of air between the rear cinch um, and the belly. If I'm going to rope um, or if I'm going to be working and ponying or if I'm going to be going a lot, a lot of downhills or jumping things, I'll take that rear cinch one hole tighter. Um, I ride my rear cinch vertical, vertical, straight up and down. I don't put it around the barrel of the belly um, in the flank area. I don't, I don't put it there. For one, I like my saddle on bone structure. I told you the type of country that we ride um, and the terrain and the, the stress that I'm going to put on the mule anyways. I want all that stress on bone structure. Those, those ribs in the back, those are floating ribs. They're weak. Um, also, you know how weak mules guts are and equine, that's their, that's their weak link is, is, is their guts, you know, colic and all kinds of things. So I don't want stress back there. Also, also we want pelvic breathing. So this is just part of the training process. I, I want my mule to breathe comfortably through their belly. I want them to breathe through that, the pelvic diaphragm, have that belly loose and I don't want my rear cinch tight back there, um, restricting the pelvic breathing. That's so important. That's why I run my cinches vertical, is for the support and the breathing. Um, so yeah, front cinch is tight, back cinch is snug. Um, that's what we do. So thanks for the question, Donnie and Jenny. Next question. Uh, I have a two-year-old Molly mule who I have done extensive groundwork with. She accepts a saddle and snaffle with no problem. Her groundwork is coming along nicely, but she flat out won't lope. If I do eventually get her to pick up a lope, she kicks out and returns to a trot. It is exhausting. <laughs> Any suggestions? Thank you, and I am, a, I am a subscriber to your online videos, which has been incredibly helpful. I uh, appreciate your help. Scarlett Miller from California. Thanks for the question, Scarlett. Um, so... One thing I would suggest is rewarding her for rewarding this mule for the transition into the lope. Now you might have to convince her that your upward transitions are going to be rewarding. Uh, there's going to be relief in the release. Okay. So you might have to go back and just teach this mule how to walk. So I don't want to have to I don't want to have to drive my mule to walk them all the time. I don't want to have to kick and kick and kick to keep them walking. So I would ask the mule to walk, do whatever you need to do to get the mule to walk. And once it's walking, don't touch it. 
let it just walk and wait for the animal to actually fail and stop. And when it stops, then you can go ahead and kick again. And you're just going to let it walk. Don't ask it to go faster. Don't ask it to go slower. Just teach this thing to just plain walk without you having to kick and keep it going. And like I said, you're going to let it fall to a stop. A lot of people feel the mule slowing down, and then they want to come and kick them then. And pretty soon, every time the mule slows down, they kick it, slows down, they kick it, and they have to basically keep kicking the mule to keep it walking, okay? Because they didn't teach it just to walk in the beginning. So teach it to walk first, Scarlet. Then teach it to trot. And basically you're saying, hey, I asked you to trot. I asked you to walk, whatever. That's the question. Just do that until I tell you otherwise. But you're going to teach him to, to trot. So you do what you need to do to get him to trot. You might have to do quite a bit of driving, quite a bit of bumping with your legs. You get him to trot. And if you've done a good job, by the way, of teaching him to walk, teaching him to trot is going to be easy, easy, easy. Um, so you get him to trot. Same type of thing. Don't kick this mule again. You might feel her slowing down. She's going to maybe want to walk. Don't kick the mule. Don't bump her with your legs until she truly breaks down into the walk. Then you come in there, you bump her, get in there, do less sooner, get in there, get out, get her trotting. So you're going to take time to teach her to walk. You're going to take time to teach her how to trot. And when she's in those transitions, you just leave her alone. Okay. Now, with a lope, this is how I do it. The, the lope and a mule like this, you're going to have to really convince her that it's going to be rewarding to lope. So what I would do, I would drive the mule, get her to make the transition into the lope, and as soon as she makes that transition into the lope, I would take off all pressure, and I would even just let this mule stop. I'd go all the way back. I'd just let her, just let her stop. Now, don't pull on her to stop her because that kind of kills your reward. A lot of people will... will manually make them stop well that just kind of killed the whole the whole process you got to let the animal stop okay so that makes us go back you, you does your animal know how to stop you got to teach it that first doesn't know how to stop and um so you uh you teach it that and then that way when you get into the the lope you get into the transition you can just quit and the mule will quit right there. So you're saying, hey, listen, faster you get into that lope transition, I'm going to let you stop. Stand here and have a break. Life's good. So I do that. And then you can apply the same type of lesson that you utilized to teach the walk and the trot. Teach that for the lope too. You ask her to lope. She, she gets into that transition. Leave her alone. And don't do anything until she breaks down into the trot or the walk. Then you come in there with your legs, bump her, get her to go. So that's kind of the process on how I would teach it to lope and not kick out. And, you know, you just kind of teach some work ethic. Okay. Thanks for the question, Scarlett. Hope that helps you. Okay. Next question. Hi, Ty and Sky. I have a question for the podcast. I'm going on a year, I'm going on year two with Babe and from the start have worked with her a lot on lateral and vertical flexion. I've been increasingly discouraged lately as I feel like we're gaining no further sense of softness. I've noticed this translates from the ground 
to a mule who finds it challenging to follow her nose during lunging circle work under the saddle or finding her leads, especially during a lope. How do I decipher whether this is an uh, anatomical issue and she needs chiropractic care or a learned or self-preserving behavior? I'm sure she has never been introduced to flexion before, but the bend or lack thereof often looks uncomfortable. What are your thoughts? Thanks again for all you do, McKenna. All right, McKenna, uh, when it comes to trying to increase the softness um, or problems with that, let me tell you the number one glitch that I see is people will apply too much pressure without correct flexion or bend in all kinds of moves. Um, let me share you a handful of these moves that that people don't get correct flexion in and they drive with their leg or they pull with their rein. Okay. Um, number one, rolling the hindquarters, moving the hindquarters. People will often drive with their leg before they have correct bend. So when you're starting like a colt, for example, you like to have them bent to 90 degrees on a slack rein. That's the key. A lot of people will just be pulling them and they'll have contact and the mule is bent to 90, but they have contact there. And then they drive them with their leg before they have that softness. So don't turn loose of your rein before you have the bend in the move. But also don't add a whole bunch of pressure with your leg until you have some bend. So you would like to start the move with correct flexion on the slack rein. You get the move done. But you got to make sure, more importantly, that you end the move on correct flexion. You might start a little rough, and you probably get away with that. But make sure that you end the move with correct flexion. So let's say we're rolling the hinds there. I got my band, and they're looking good on a loose rein. I add my leg. I roll the hindquarters. But while I'm rolling the hindquarters, they start bracing on me. They try to take their head away, and they're kind of pulling on me a little bit. I won't quit that move. I won't quit rolling the hinds until the mule has turned loose. And then I do. Then I turn loose. Another uh, classic move, and this is more to do with vertical flexion, but another classic move people constantly fail on are leg yields, um, side passing, um, haunches in, moves like that. Uh, they don't have a soft feel, and they start to go sideways. Um, side passing is the most common. Um, we call it side wallering because a lot of people just kind of pull their mules sideways and just kick them till they go sideways. Um, a true a true side pass, you should have collection. You should have that soft feel, that vertical flexion. You should have that while you're moving. So you wouldn't ask for multiple steps if you lost that bend um, vertically, um, bending at the pole there, that is, okay, that softness. So again, you get the softness, you make the move, and then you got to make sure you end with the softness. So hopefully that helps you, McKenna. Um, as far as getting the chiropractor to take a look, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. Uh, check out all the physical elements for sure. Um, but but uh, once you check that out it's important to get to work here and 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 likely it's just how these moves have been ended 
Um, make sure you end with a lightness. Don't turn loose until they've turned loose. So hopefully that helps you, McKenna. Um, one uh, one more thought on that. Um, Ed Cannell uh, has a book called Hackamore Rainsman. It's an interesting book. Um, I don't particularly agree with the, a lot of the methods in there, a lot of the things, um, but it's a really interesting book. And it's fun to read about the the you know making the the hackamore making the hackamore horse and the bridle horse. Um, so one one of the methods that he teaches in there though that I have found extremely useful and just very helpful and very successful is the pull and slack method. So basically, th- the method is don't just pull back and and just jerk on the animal. Um, You'd want to pick up a little rein, and and then you push that rein back to them. A lot of people will hold the rein, like for example, in lateral flexion, they'll hold the rein just stagnant in the air, like it's hovering in the air, and they just hold there. And as the mule gives, the mule finds their own slack. Now that is effective and it's fine, but there's good, better, there's best. Okay, the pull and slack has helped me just totally accelerate the pro the progress here. So in that example, you you have your hand hovering in the air, just holding. The mule goes to give, but what I do is I push the rein to the mule. So they give, the nose is coming towards me. Now I push my hand toward that nose and it puts a, a bigger slack. It puts bigger slack in that rein and it's more obvious to the mule that they give. So that has been super helpful for me, McKenna. Hopefully that helps you. All right, and our last question comes from Natalie Garrett in Florida. Um, good morning, and I hope you and the family are doing well. I asked a question on your Facebook, uh, your cult starting Facebook post, and it was suggested that I send it to you for the podcast. Um, in the first group of cults, four of the eight were able to go out on the trail by day four. Can you speak to what makes some cults progress more quickly than others? Is it the amount of work they've had before the clinic? Confidence of the handler, individual personality of the cult, or a combination? Also, is there any one of these things more important than the other, in your opinion? Thanks in advance, Natalie Garrett. Okay, Natalie, uh, yeah, um, you know, some of these animals, uh, that in that cult starting, we did a little debrief on that uh, couple weeks ago but um yeah on day four um half of them were able to go on a trail a little trail ride um just kind of around the house now this this is um she's talking about the first group of cults we did two we did two sessions um and and this is in the first group so the first group on the third day we just rode we kind of rode up my 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 road here it's a dirt road and took a little ride up there, come back. Um, on day four, we took four of the, that was five of the cults did that on day three. Day four, four of the cults, um, I, I left one back, but four of them were able to, we went just out on my property, um, riding through the trees and the brush and everything on my property. And that was pretty good. On But on day five, all of the cults went out on the trail. So she's asking, um, you know, why do some progress more than quickly than others? It's, it's a combination of all kinds of things, Natalie. Um, the prep work is huge. 
you know, what did they do to prepare? What did they do to get the cult ready? Also, um, how, how well of a job they're doing in, in the clinic, you know, are, are they pushing it? Are they trying? Are they doing their work? Um, that's a big part of it too. Um, and then some was just the cults. Some, some cults, I mean, you know, you know, they're, they're not all equal for sure. And, and I can start, I can use my exact same process on a hundred cults straight through and I'll have, I'll have them, you know, uh, all over the place. And, um, and I mentioned earlier on this show about the two cults I started, uh, last year, Hannah and Dally, I, I talked about them doing my same thing on both the animals and, you know, kind of how it went with both of them. Very, very, very different. Now we're at this point, a year later on those two cults, Dally is catching up to Hannah. Um, and she will catch up to Hannah. I will bring her up to that level at some point. It's just taking a lot longer. And it's kind of the same thing here with all these cults. They're not all equal. Not all of them are, uh, come around as quick. Not all of them, um, are as willing. And, and there's all kinds of things you could, you could just go back and trace back. I mean, it could be, yeah, it, it could be the handling. It could be a moment of time that went well or bad. It could be, um, it, it could be, it could even be some of these animals, um, that the time of day I started them, you know, <laughs> some of these animals I've noticed that the ones that were a little earlier in the morning, you know, when it's a little cooler, they clicked and they kind of come along a little faster. The ones in the afternoon, uh, you know, a little bit tougher, um, all kinds of things. It could be the feel that the person has, the experience that the person has. Um, some of these choices were also made on safety of the human. Can that rider handle that animal out on the trail if there's a little glitch? How is that rider going to handle it? Does that rider need a little bit more preparation? So it's not always progress dependent on the animal. Sometimes it's the person too. You know, um, the second group, uh, of cult starters, I mean, shoot, they were out on the trail way quicker than, than everybody else. Um, they were, but it was a different group of people and they could kind of handle things a little bit differently than the first group. They were a little more experienced with cult starting. And, and so, you know, the preparation that we did in the arena and in the round pen wasn't so extensive, um, as the first group because I knew that these guys could handle it. So we, we got out there with less preparation, less preparation and, and, but they, they were able to kind of get through it and it was no big deal. So that's kind of all the differences going on there, Natalie. Um, anyways, I hope that helps. If I had to pick the perfect scenario for starting a cult, honestly, it's a cult that has had the groundwork checklist done with it. Um, is not overly friendly, um, not overly, um, you know, just totally, totally like gentle and familiar because I like a little life in them. The biggest problem that these folks had in the cold starting, um, the ones that were a little too gentle was forward motion. 
Um, so, but you gotta, okay, you gotta kind of take it as you can handle it. Do you want one that's really gentle and quiet that won't buck you off that because they're just so calm and familiar with you? Or do you want one that's got a little bit more life, life to it? And, um, you know, might, might just kind of grab their butt and kind of take off because they're unfamiliar. They're a little scared of the situation. And, and if you're not ready, you could, you could accelerate that in a negative way. So what, what can you handle, Natalie? That's kind of what you, you know, as you're picking, I prefer that they're a little more sensitive because I like them to move. I want my mules to move and I can go with them. So that's what I take. Anyways, these are some great questions. Uh, again, if any of you guys that are listening here, uh, you great people out there have questions, be sure to, to send me an email. My email again is ty at tsmules.com. That's ty at tsmules.com. Uh, send us a, Send us a question if you got it. We'd love to feature it on here. Put in the subject line, question for podcast. Also, you can find um, links to all of our clinics. Our 2020, uh, 2022 clinic schedule is, we're, shoot, we're halfway through it. Um, we are now booking for 2023 and 2024. So uh, you guys out there that would like us to come to your town, be sure to reach out to me and let me know. Um, we'll try to get you on the books. Um, that's for public clinics, private clinics, and semi-private clinics. Also, if you want to find the link to our online video library, uh, it's on there. Go to tsmules.com and uh, click on the clinic tab, and uh, or excuse me, click on the online video library tab, and it'll be there for you. Um, anyways, uh, also, I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you think of the show. If you have suggestions on topics, on things you'd like us to talk about, let me know. And until next time, God bless you, and we will see you down the road. I need to thank my friend, Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA, right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks and uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A. M-I-N, RomanHome.com, and uh, tell Ben hello, tell him Ty sent you.